compassionate God, help us to see what you would have us to see and not be blinded by the distractions all around us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If last Sunday's parable of the dishonest manager is the most difficult parable there is, we might have run into the second most challenging parable this morning. Sure, it seems like a fairly straightforward parable about the consequences of ignoring the needy, but as always, Jesus does not tell the parables as moralistic fairy tales. Instead, the parables are about the shocking, subversive, and saving grace of God. What makes this parable difficult is that there are so many things going on in it that we can be distracted from those notes of grace. Primarily, this is a parable about encounters. The encounter between the rich man and Lazarus, both on this side of death and the other, the encounter between the rich man and his actions, and our encounter with a God who would do something so audacious as coming back from the dead to make sure that we encounter his love. And Jesus tells this parable in such a compelling way that we might actually forget that this is a parable, not a story about something that really happened which means that Jesus is not describing something that happened once. He is describing the nature of reality. And this means that there was no specific rich man, and there was no exact poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus attends our public schools. Lazarus stands at intersections holding up a sign. Lazarus sleeps in the alleyways around downtown. Lazarus's, Lazarus crosses the border in search of a better life for their family. Lazarus lives in the tent city behind the movie theater that we don't want to know is there. Lazarus is the one who serves us at restaurants and delivers our Amazon packages. This parable is told to every single one of us because every single one of us knows Lazarus. We have seen him, seen her, seen them. And one of the ways that this parable becomes a challenge is that we get distracted in asking the wrong questions of it. This parable has no interest in the question of why. We're simply told that Lazarus was a poor man. What led to his poverty and his sores do not matter. Maybe he had done some time in Jerusalem Correctional Maybe he was a veteran of some of the clashes with Rome and had developed PTSD. Maybe he was intellectually disabled. Maybe he had a gambling problem. We don't know and it doesn't matter. The same thing is true today when we see Lazarus. Jesus does not speculate as to how Lazarus got there. Instead of asking why, Jesus seems to suggest that the question for us is what now? In the setup to this parable, Jesus makes it quite clear that this is a parable about encounters. It's obscured in the English, but it's clear in the original text of Scripture. Luke's writing does not say, at his gate lay a poor man. No, it's in the passive voice. It should be translated as, at his gate was laid 
a poor man. Scholars generally think that this is what is known as the divine passive, suggesting that this was God's doing. It does not explain why Lazarus was poor, but it does explain why he was at the rich man's gate. Lazarus was there because the rich man had something that he could do about it. The rich man was faced with a divine encounter right at his front gate, but he ignored it. And the reason for his ignorance is that, as Jesus says, the rich man feasted sumptuously every day. He was so overcome with affluence and comfort that he was blinded from seeing what God had put right in front of him. One of the challenges for us reading this parable is keeping our eyes focused on what this is a parable about instead of speculating on what it is not about. This is not a parable about money being evil and poverty being commendable. If that were the point of this parable, we would expect a conclusion about the importance of giving up everything so that we could all live in poverty and obtain a heavenly reward. But that's not how it works. God will not be manipulated by our efforts to decide our own fates, either by hoarding wealth or taking a vow of poverty. This is not a parable that says money is bad and that begging is good. After all, Abraham, who's featured in this parable, was a man of exceeding wealth. And in the parable, he's in paradise. So having wealth is not necessarily damnable. But we do have to be on guard against getting distracted by this parable and missing the point that Jesus is after. Nor is this a parable about the mechanics or the specifics of what happens after we die. We know from anthropologists and literary scholars that Jesus is adapting a well-known storytelling technique from the ancient Near East. Stories of two people who died was a common way to talk about things that matter most in life. Not all that different from how we tell jokes about two people who find themselves at St. Peter's Gate. Furthermore, what really tells us that this is not a parable about heaven and hell is the introduction that we did not hear read this morning. In the verses just prior to where we began, Luke calls the Pharisees, to whom he tells this parable, lovers of money. And it notes that they had been making fun of Jesus for what he had been saying about our inability to serve both God and wealth. The context of this parable is not a question of, Jesus, what happens after we die? But rather, what is our relationship to money and others supposed to look like? And in this parable, Jesus includes a very important detail that's easy to skip right over. That detail is that this rich man had five brothers. That means there were six of them. Six is a number that represents human weakness and evil. Now remember that Jesus suggests that Lazarus had been divinely placed at the rich man's gate. If this rich man and his five brothers had encountered, instead of ignored Lazarus and welcomed him, things could have been very different. When that rich man is in Hades, he calls out, Father Abraham, it's family language. And clearly, Lazarus is a child of Abraham as well. As Jesus says that Lazarus rested in the bosom of Abraham. Had Lazarus, who is a child of Abraham, been encountered as such 
by the rich man and his brothers, there would not have been six of them, but seven. Seven is a number of completeness and wholeness. Welcoming Lazarus as their brother would have transformed Lazarus' life for the better. It would have transformed the brothers' lives for the better, and it would have changed which side of the chasm the rich man found himself on. It's a question of encounter. The rich man was distracted by his wealth and his feasts, and he paid no attention to Lazarus. How interesting it is, though, that the rich man in Hades calls out to Abraham and asks if Lazarus can be his errand boy to go fetch him some water. And he mentions Lazarus by name. He cannot claim ignorance here. He had seen Lazarus, but ignored him, chosen to be blind to him. The text tells us that even the dogs tended to Lazarus and noticed him licking his wounds. But this rich man could not even muster up as much compassion as a pack of street dogs. And this gets us closer to what Jesus is saying in this parable, that money is not bad in and of itself, and poverty is not redemptive in and of itself. Instead, what makes money so dangerous is that it blinds us. Money insulates us from those in poverty. Call it residential covenants. Call it a gated community. Call it redlining. Call it gentrification. Call it reassessing property values. Call it whatever we want to. Wealth segregates the haves from the have-nots. Too much money prevents us from seeing and knowing the struggles that so many people have. Money makes us delude ourselves into thinking that we deserve wealth instead of being the stewards of the blessings that God has entrusted to us. There's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in the world are often described as the most out of touch and egotistical. Wealth is dangerous because instead of seeing ourselves as lucky and generous, we see ourselves as deserving and better. And to be clear, we don't need to live in a mansion with a gate to be considered rich by this parable. As I've already said, we all know a Lazarus, which means that we are all the rich man. And if we can't see that, then we really have been blinded by money. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, poverty is defined as the inability to experience a minimal standard of living. About 37 million Americans, 10%, live under that definition of poverty. The numbers as a percentage are about the same across the globe. We know that the numbers would be significantly higher for what would be called the working poor, those who live paycheck to paycheck and would be financially ruined by something as simple as needing a new set of tires for their car. Now, I'll speak for myself. I don't understand that reality, and I have never lived in it. But I don't think I'm alone in my relative affluence. Now, the rich man, he tried to claim ignorance about this. He begs Abraham to let him warn his brothers, but Abraham says, they have the law and the prophets. We have the words of scripture and the witness of Jesus. We cannot be excused for pretending that we didn't realize that we are the stewards 
of what has been given to us. And then the rich man says, but if someone came back from the dead and tells them, well, then they would repent. Abraham says, no, not even that would do the trick. And sadly, this is the truth. We're all here this morning because someone did come back from the dead. And yet we still hoard as private treasure. We still have an economic system that rewards the rich and punishes the poor. We still refuse to welcome Lazarus into our prosperity. It's a truth we all know to be the case. In this world, there is plenty for everyone. But only if we encounter the other and welcome them in. And it is tempting to say that those with extreme wealth should be the ones to worry about addressing extreme poverty. Yes, of course, a billionaire can give a lot more than I can. But I can do just as much as a billionaire can do. The only thing that Jesus commends in this parable is giving comfort to those who are in need. Jesus does not tell the rich man that he needs to give everything away and trade places with Lazarus, only that he denied him comfort. And comfort is what the rich man is now lacking. An early church theologian said that if we cannot find Christ in the beggar at the church door, we will not find Christ in the chalice either. Historically, those who have taken the sacraments most seriously and receive them most transformatively have been those committed to encountering and serving those in poverty. The Anglo-Catholic movement, as it is sometimes called, began in the poorest slums of London. St. Luke's, along with most Episcopal congregations, is a Eucharistically-centered congregation. And the only thing that prevents us from turning into a bunch of ritualists our encounters with Lazarus, in which we provide comfort to those who are in need and are transformed when we meet Christ in them. Our mission committee is gearing back up as we are in the habit again of having regular meetings. And the St. Luke's Foundation had a great retreat yesterday in which we discussed the last 50 years of the foundation's existence as we look ahead to the next 50. And this is also stewardship season a time in which we are encouraged to consider our relationship to money and are given the opportunity to invest in a place where all can encounter abundant grace, intentional worship, and beloved community. This parable is a challenge not only to individuals, but to our congregation. Our witness to him who died and rose again is connected to our encounters with the least of these in our community. In the parable, Jesus mentions that there's a great chasm between the rich man and Lazarus. By his own becoming poor, through his death and as a result of his resurrection, Jesus bridges that chasm so that we can encounter the riches of God's grace and love. We, of course, give God thanks that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And we show this gratitude by making sure that our money has not blinded us to what God would have us to see.